chapter 25 this morning. Just moving right along through the book of Acts now. Do encourage you guys to uh, stay after the service. And I, I noticed that uh, Willie said that encouraged us to just kind of take a look at that uh, food that's available for us for that fundraiser. I would suggest we do more than just take a look at it. Okay. Yeah, get, get your hot dog and chili dog. And, you know, uh, I, for one, I'm going to make sure I get a full dollar's worth of chili on my chili dog. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to be a, 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 a nice thing. And uh, the, the uh, obviously, a, a fundraiser for our children's ministry, a very worthy cause, you know, and uh, just investing in getting the word of God into the hearts of our kids, right? That, that's what we want to see take place. So um, I see a few of you agree with me on that. <laughs> Not all of you for some reason. I don't know. Oh, okay, okay. That's better. That's better. Yeah, it's just a blessing to be able to do that. So take advantage of that opportunity. And if you can't stay and eat something, just drop a little donation in the box or something. I would, I would encourage you to do that. Okay, guys, um, I encourage you also to take heed to the announcements that were given, the various ministries that are taking place. Um, encourage you in, in those things as well. Let's go, and let's go ahead and get into the Word, shall we? We're, again, in, in Acts chapter 25, and we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of this chapter. So if you'll stand with me, I'm going to go ahead and read those 12 verses and then we're going to go ahead and get into the teaching together. Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, and I'm reading from the New King James Version of God's Word. Now when Festus had come to the province, I'm going to get this out of the way right now. Festus, not a common name. But we, we do all remember, in fact, part of the teaching is we don't really know a lot about Festus, but we do remember him. Some of us remember him from Gunsmoke. Remember? <laughs> remember? Yeah. Anyway, I, I just I just had to get that out of the way now. Okay. Let's read. Now, when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. And they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about, and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, 
nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I've done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. And Father, we pray that as we look at these verses together today, that, Lord, you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that he would implant your word into our hearts today. Lord, that we would submit to your word and allow your word to to form us, to transform us, to change us from the inside out as you do your work in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Holy Spirit, give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment as we consider these truths. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, as we looked at the 24th chapter, we saw, of course, um, the Apostle Paul before the Governor Felix. And at the end of that 24th chapter, verse 27, we see these words, but after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. You remember that basically Paul was imprisoned, and, and really, as he was kept in custody uh, by the Roman authorities, it was a blessing to the Apostle Paul because he found protection from the Jews who wanted to kill him. We'd seen already in the 23rd chapter that there were, remember, 40 men who had taken an oath that they would neither eat nor drink until Paul was dead. And they made a plan, uh, complicit with the the Jewish authorities, the high priests and so forth, uh, that uh, they would, as they would call him to Jerusalem, they would lie in wait and ambush him. And interestingly, here in this passage, we see the Jewish leaders doing the same thing, planning an ambush as they request Paul's presence back in Jerusalem. And so we, we, we see this taking place here, but, but Felix had remained or, or allowed uh, Paul to remain in prison, and he had certain free freedoms. You remember that, that the, um, they were commanded to allow... Uh, the, th- those in the prison, the guards and so forth, were allow, uh, 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 commanded by uh, Felix to allow Paul to have visitors, people come take care of him, bring him food, visit with him, and so forth. 
So he had those kinds of freedoms, and he's able to minister while there. You know, and it is while there that it is very likely that he wrote the prison epistles. So it, it's just an interesting thing to see the freedom that he had, even though that he was in prison. So we, we see that taking place. But for two years, and we notice in verse 27 that Felix was wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound, and yet that in itself was a blessing to Paul at the same time as he was able to continue ministering. Now, F.F. Bruce writes this in, re in regard to this um, Felix leaving this particular post and uh, Porcius Festus succeeding him. He wrote, the occasion of Felix's recall from his office was an outbreak of civil strife between the Jewish and Gentile inhabitants of Caesarea, in which Felix intervened with troops in such a way as to cause much bloodshed among the leaders of the Jewish faction. And I want you to think about that just for a moment. In relation to what's going on right now in Israel and the Gaza Strip, repeating this, civil strife between the Jewish and Gentile inhabitants of Caesarea. There is much more than civil strife right now going on between the Jewish and the Gentile inhabitants of Israel, of southern Israel in particular, right? Always has been, always will be until the return of Jesus, until he establishes his millennial reign. That's just the, the, the kind of, of, of bad blood that has existed between the Jews and other inhabitants there, uh, going back all the way to um, Jacob and Esau, going all the way back there. It's always existed. And so nothing really new. Well, let me go on and finish reading this from F.F. F. Bruce. On his return to Rome, he would have faced a severe penalty. Josephus informs us, Josephus being a Jewish historian in the first century, had it not been for the advocacy of his brother Pallas. Pallas had been removed from his post as head of the imperial civil service in A.D. 55, but largely on account of his colossal wealth, he retained great influence for several years after that. And so Felix was removed would have been harshly punished for his, basically, the, the evil way that he handled these situations. But because of Paulus, his brother, and his wealth, uh, he, he intervened and, and, and saved him from that. But Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor. And we do see later in this particular passage, verse 9, Festus, wanted to do the Jews a favor. Politicians, right? We'll, we'll talk about a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But Paul, as he was enduring this persecution, we will remember that this persecution began almost the moment that he was converted to Christ. 
Back in chapter 9, you'll recall. In fact, I want to share with you a few verses from Acts chapter 9. This is immediately after he, he was converted. He had his, uh, he, he was prayed over and, and so forth and, and by, by Ananias and, and all. But in, in Acts 9 verses 20 to 25, we see these words. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God, speaking, of course, of Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? You recall the meaning of all that. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And if you recall, we were reminded there that this is why Paul was such a basket case. Let down the wall in a large basket. You know, um, the Jews desiring to kill him. You know, we the, the, the Jews were, and as it speaks about the Jews, it's about the Jewish leadership. The Jewish leadership, th this is who it's talking about, the Jewish leadership. And, and as such, they, they had a lot invested in all this in the sense that they had positions of power. You know, and, and it's interesting how even God himself is unable because of the unwillingness of the hearts that he wants to impact. He's unable to make that impact because of some kind of an agenda, some purpose, some, some desire uh, that is in the heart of the people that he's wanting to deal with. You know, in this case, these Jews, they wanted to maintain their leadership. And it's like, God forbid that the Messiah would come and take it from us. You know what I mean? And, and, and yet they had a responsibility to teach of the coming Messiah and also to recognize him and acknowledge him for the sake of the people and for the sake of God's name himself, really. But, you know, but, they, but they would not. It's just an amazing thing how we will, we, we will not acknowledge God, we will not acknowledge his truth if we've got things in our own heart that we want to accomplish. I was very much like that when, when I got saved or before I got saved. I was just putting off the Lord until I wanted to do some things that I wanted to do. Y you guys are familiar with that. As he was ministering to, to my heart, I knew he was calling me to himself. And I told him, not now, God, not now. I've got things I want to do. You guys know my testimony. You know, I was just, just turned 21, going up to Lake Tahoe, wanted to gamble and drink and have some good adult, clean, legal fun, which I was doing before I turned 21. But now it was going to be legal, so it was going to be fun, you know. Anyway, um, yeah, and, and so he addressed me there. As I was running from him, my wife and I got in a fight, and I got in a fight playing cards, 
Uh, he's always drinking some, some beer and stuff like that and got a little bit tipsy, I guess. I don't really remember that part. But anyway, since I don't remember, maybe that's the case. Anyway, um, yeah, we got in a fight. She went to the tent. We were camping, right? Or she went to the car, excuse me. I went to the tent, and then the Lord just addressed me. So this is what you want, huh? You know, and I gave my heart to the Lord that night. But I was, you know, it's like, you know what? I've got things I want to do. Lord, you know, don't confuse me with your truth. You know what I mean? Don't confuse me with the truth. But truth is always the real issue, isn't it? Truth is the issue. Truth itself is what saves us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so these are things that, that we need to give attention to. And that's the case with these Jews. So way back when Paul first got saved, this started. And now it's probably... 25 to 30 years later, as he's in this Caesarean jail, I mean, it's, it's, it's a room. Maybe it is a cell kind of a thing within the palace of, of Herod there in Caesarea. We talked about that. But he's still suffering this persecution at the hands of the Jews, which is a the Jewish leaders in particular, of course, as I said, the tragic thing, considering Paul's expression of his heart for his Jewish brethren, Paul had already written his letter to the Romans by this time. And in that letter, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, Look at these words. This is the passage that Willie was alluding to just a few moments ago. He wouldn't, he didn't want to take my thunder. I, was, I almost yelled out at him, then don't. <laughs> and he didn't, so I appreciate that. Anyway, Romans 9, verses 1 to 5. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came who is over all the eternal blessed God. Amen. What an expression of love towards his Jewish brethren. And, and God, I, I, we, we should think about this a moment. I mean, he's saying, I wish that I could be accursed from Christ. I wish I could change places with them so they would go to heaven and I would be the one going to hell. That's what he's saying. That's incredible. You know, and, and, and in those questions, by the way, I, you know, there, there is this, this, this question there. Could you do that? Could I do that? Could, could we do that for people around us who don't know the Lord yet? Now, obviously... Our desire is to be used by God to bring them to Christ so that they will join us in heaven in the presence of the Lord 
forever, right? That's our desire. That's our desire, right? Right? Okay, okay, you're, you're there. Okay. Yeah, uh, but, but to say, you know, I, I mean, even, even for myself, I, I have a ch- uh, we all have a challenge with this. It's like, do I love my grandchildren who have not yet come to Jesus enough to do that? Do I? I have to ask myself that question. I'll be honest with you, you, you wrestle with that. Don't, don't we wrestle with that kind of a question? What an example Paul serves for us in that way, though. You know, to have that kind of heart. Have that kind of heart. You know, no, you enjoy God's presence through all eternity. I'll endure the pain of being separated from him by all eternity, for all eternity. Wow. I think we should give some real thought to that. It does remind us of the statement of Jesus in terms of his heart for those who are crucifying him as well. Luke 23, verse 34, as Jesus is hanging on that cross, the first part of that verse, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Seeking the forgiveness of God for those who are crucifying him. Do we have that kind of a heart that we are, are as quickly, especially, and it's hard to do, but the idea that there are people around us who hurt us, sometimes intentionally hurting us, saying things to us that they know are going to be like a, a, a knife in the back kind of a thing? Do we pray for them in the same way? Lord, forgive them. They, they really don't know what they're doing. They, they, don't, they don't get it. They don't know. Forgive them. Or are we crying out that the Lord take vengeance on them immediately? You know what I mean? These are challenges to us. What we, what we see here, getting back to chapter 25, we see that Festus takes over. Well, as the new governor, he understood that he needed to spend some time getting acquainted with the, 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 the rulers of the province that he was taking over. So he wanted to spend some time with the Jewish leaders. So uh, as, as we see here, that he came uh, to the province, and then three days after he got to Caesarea, he went to Jerusalem to meet with the Jewish authorities, the Jewish leaders, the high priests and, and, and scribes and so forth. And then verse 2, we see this. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. Not about him, but against him. They were inciting him and de- desiring that he would sentence Paul. And they petitioned him, as we see there in verse 2, asking a favor against Paul that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. Now, we're we're not to think that they said all those things to um, Festus. But Luke is informing us of their motive and what their desire was to kill Paul even as 
I mean, obviously, these 40 men of a couple chapters ago inspired this thought among the Jewish leaders. They'll do that. Or maybe they will just have these same men do that. Now, this is two years later. If those men actually took that oath seriously, none of them would have been around right now, right? But that's doubtful. But anyway, it doesn't matter who it was. This was in the hearts of the Jewish leaders. They wanted Paul dead. And so they were, they were baiting uh, of Festus. And, and they know how this works. A new governor, they're the leaders there. They want a good working relationship. They ask him a favor, and then he's going to want to do them a favor. They want a good re- working relationship. He has the authority to do this. And what's the life of one man, right? You know, I mean, from that perspective, to keep peace in Judea, that's kind of what's going on here. Okay, ask this favor. Wanting to have Paul brought to Jerusalem so that they could do that. So the Sanhedrin itself, the leadership of the Jews, the Jews is plotting this very thing. And it's kind of a remarkable thing that given all of this, that Festus would say, no, we're going to leave him in Caesarea. I'm going to be going in a few days. If a group of you guys, you know, uh, that, that w- with some authority come down with me, we'll just hash it out there in Caesarea. Especially, I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable, especially given that later on we're told that him wanting to do them a favor, ask Paul if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem. I think he had a few days to think about it. He, 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 uh, he slept on it a while and thought, well, maybe that'd be a good, I- good way to do this. You know, again, wanting favor with the Jews, wanting to do them a favor, again, this relationship with these people. But he elected just to keep him in Caesarea. And, and we see Proverbs 21.1 here, which says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And so, the Lord turned Festus's heart, not being a king, but a governor, one in, in, in political uh, authority, uh, to leave Paul there in Caesarea for Paul's safety. And so we see him doing that. Now, now that same truth can cause us problems in our hearts, too. If the Lord really has the heart of the king in his hands, to turn that heart wherever he wants it to go. What about wicked leaders? What about the leadership of Hamas? The former leadership of ISIS? Does this mean that some kings' hearts are not in the Lord's hands and and other kings' hearts are? What's going on with this? It's a difficult uh, question to answer. We do know that evil has been up in the heart of men. Our hearts are desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, as Jeremiah writes to us. We do know that God uses even wicked and evil leaders to accomplish his purposes. He used men like King Nebuchadnezzar to come into Jerusalem 
to tear down the temple, to kill civilians, to bring them back into captivity to Babylon and other areas in order to bring his chastisement to the Jewish people because they were unfaithful to him. We know that he does that. And so it's a difficult question to answer, but we need to understand this. Men and women are essentially wicked. That's us. Until we turn to Christ and he begins his work as he makes us a new creation in him. As the Holy Spirit enters in and does his work. We become changed. It's a transforming power of the Holy Spirit and his word in our hearts. Our culture will not acknowledge that we as people basically are born with a sinful, wicked nature. They believe that something happens to someone along the way to turn them to wickedness. I would say that something happens along the way to encourage that wickedness. Is how it works. But many of us, because we have experienced the grace of God, even living in the culture that we live in, originally formed by a group of men desiring to follow after Christ, follow the truths of the Bible. That was th that's a foundation of our culture. We're getting further and further away from that, but even still, we have this culture in which we experience the grace of God. Men and women born with sinfulness born with a wicked heart, but experiencing the grace of God and living in this place in such a way that having experienced that grace, we're not like those people. We're not like the Hamas leadership. We don't understand that. I'm glad we can't understand that, yet I, I, I should say it this way. We can understand it with the truths of Scripture, but we can't relate to it because our hearts are different. You know that statement, but for the grace of God, there go I, right? That needs to be a statement that's in our hearts continually because none of us are any better than any of them. It's simply the grace that we've experienced and God has um, given us of himself in a way that makes us different. So let's remember that. And... Um, In verses 6 through 8. When he had remained among them uh, 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. The next day he, he sat on the judgment seat. So, so we have this contingency from Jerusalem with him. The next day he says, okay, let's do this. So he sits on his judgment seat, brings Paul in, and they have this uh, day in court, essentially. Uh, when he had come, verse 7, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. So they lay these charges before him. Many serious complaints is the way that this is worded here. Now, Luke doesn't give us any detail of what was said. It's probably something similar to what we saw in uh, the last chapter. In fact, in verses 5 and 6 of that last chapter, this is what we see 
Luke writing as he's uh, quoting from the Jewish leadership. In, in fact, this is a Tertullus, this orator or this lawyer that they hired to speak for them, remember, before Felix. For we have found this man, speaking of Paul, of course, we found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. And as we see the response of Paul, as we will in just a moment, we see that he's answering charges like this, as, as, we, as we see Paul saying, you know, I've, I've done nothing against the Jews, nothing against the temple, nothing against Caesar. That's basically how he responds. So that, that, that fits in with all of that. But the only really specific charge that he makes is, is the, the uh, charge of trying to profane the temple. And you'll remember that in that chapter, the last time before Felix, that that uh, Tertullus frames it in such a way that, that we wanted to keep him from doing that. And then, uh, and then, and then the commander of, uh, of the uh, soldiers there uh, just intervened in a very violent way and took him from us and all that, he said. But much the same thing. So the same charge is being levied ag against Paul. And you remember back in the 21st chapter, verse 29, these words in terms of this uh, him trying to profane the temple. 21-29 says, For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So the charge of profaning the temple by bringing this Gentile, Trophimus, from, from Ephesus into the temple, which never really happened. It was just all rumor. It, 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 it was uh, suspicion. Um, they just thought this may have happened, and so the charge is brought. So again, Paul answered, I've done, I've done nothing against the Jews, nothing against the temple, nothing against Caesar. Then in verse 9, Festus speaks to Paul. After Paul answers for himself, um, he asked him the question, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged uh, before me concerning these things? And just, and just a reminder here, we, we see the term, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem? You know, um, it's always up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is of a higher altitude than, the, than, than other areas there in Israel, especially Caesarea right there on the, on the coast. What we'll say is we're, we're, going, we're going up to San Francisco because it's north. But they say we're going up to Jerusalem because it's higher. Okay, that, that, that's, that's the meaning of that. And, and, and then Paul responds. Now, before we look at this, this idea of Festus presenting this question to Paul, because he wanted to do the Jews a favor. Again, I, I mentioned, you know, a, a problem with politics is we have these special interest groups 
and the Jewish leadership was one of those special interest groups in this um, province that Festus was the new governor over, wanted to have a good relationship with them. He's willing to hear them. But these special interest groups lobby the person in power. And then the person in, in power responds to the lobbying in such a way that the actions and decisions of that person who has power, let's say a legislator, a member of our Congress, a senator, state Congress, whatever it may be, wanting to do a favor for someone, and it becomes more about doing favors for people than justice, more about favors than truth, more about favors than what is the right thing to do and the best thing to do, really, for the people. That's a problem in politics. Some get into that more than others. There are some politicians who are more honorable than others. But that opportunity is there, and it happens. We have kind of a natural propensity, I think, as citizens at this point, that we would like to have people in office who aren't so beholden to certain groups of people, special interest groups. You know, so, so it, it's kind of a, uh, an intriguing and an attractive thing for us when somebody enters into a race who's not a politician because these things already haven't been working. But it's natural for us as people to do this given the nature of our hearts, right? What we are as people. It's a natural thing. Is it right? No. Natural, yes. But as we come to Christ and he does his work in us, it becomes something that because he changes us, becomes something that really should be a foreign thing to us because we should be all about truth and righteousness and God's way. That's what we should be all about. But this is a reality in the world around us. Remember, we are in the world, but not what? of it, not like them anymore, like we used to be like them, but not anymore because of Jesus. Now, Paul answers beginning in verse 10. He, he, he essentially is saying to Festus, Festus, because I'm here before you, I really am before Caesar. That's the extension of it all. Because Festus is there functioning the way that Caesar desires him to function. It, it's all a part of that. And, and we, we have a very similar uh, system within our, within our own uh, culture with, 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 with uh, the, the governing authorities and so forth. You know, we, we as a culture received the idea of laws and being a nation of laws from the Romans. But even as they were a nation of laws, so are we. At least that's the intent. It seems like we see it less and less and less 
as time goes on. But he, he basically goes from that perspective, again, saying that he's done nothing wrong. And, and it's interesting, in verse 10, he says uh, to Festus, you know that I've done nothing wrong. You know this to be true. And so that, that's a little bit of a jab toward him, telling him that Paul understands that he's not interested in, in truth so much as appeasing the Jews, the Jewish leaders. But this is, this is what he says. And while Paul was not aware of what we read back in the third verse in this chapter about the intent of the Jewish leaders wanting to get Paul uh, uh, on the road toward Jerusalem so that they could ambush them and kill him, he does know about the fact that that already was a plan that was made previously because, remember, his nephew. He learned of this, told his uncle Paul. Paul said, go tell the commander about it. They did. So they got him out of Jerusalem with a couple hundred Roman soldiers and brought him down to Caesarea. So he knows the very real possibility of it. This could be something that was in his mind even as he appealed to Caesar, to, to, to Caesar wanting to remain in custody and thus protected by Roman soldiers. But he goes on there in verse 11. If I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I don't object to dying. He basically is saying, I'm, I'm a fair man. I'm a man of justice. And if I've done something wrong, I should pay. But I've done nothing wrong, so I shouldn't. And I shouldn't even be delivered to these, to these men. Because as you know, I've done nothing wrong. Nothing worthy of death. You know that. And, and so he's, he's basically going along those lines. Now, one of the things that is of interest here is in terms of Festus and hearing the charges that have been made, the, the, the one thing that would uh, um, pique his interest, that would cause his ears to just really perk up, is this mention of the word dissension. That speaks of civil unrest. And we can't have that in Caesar's empire. And so he doesn't want that taking place, so that does pique his interest. And that also, by the way, is a charge that would enable the Apostle Paul to appeal to Caesar. Because it was that serious a charge. You might remember back in Acts chapter 17 when Paul was in Thessalonica that there were charges made against Paul and, and his team, his missionary team there in Thessalonica. And the Jewish men, the leaders there, as they came to the, the, the uh, authorities, the civil authorities within the city of Thessalonica, he said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Remember that? Of, of, as they were in Thessalonica. They've come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. One of the charges. And the Roman authorities would take that very seriously. That would amount to treason in, in, in that regard. But these kind of charges 
would give Paul the ability to appeal to Caesar. And so we see him making that appeal. And then Festus in verse 12, when he'd conferred with the council, he answered, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And once that appeal had been made by a Roman citizen, it's not like Festus had any choice in the matter. He had to give him the opportunity to stand before Caesar. It's, it's like uh, uh, appealing. I mean, we have an, uh, an appeal process in our culture, and the appeal can go from one court to a higher court to a higher court until it finally gets to the Supreme Court. Right? And th- same thing. Same kind of thing that we see here. So that's basically what Paul was doing. He wanted to go to the supreme ruler in regards to the laws in, of Rome. I appeal to Caesar. Another thing in his heart, I'm sure, is also the fact that even as, as the Lord had already promised him that he would go to Rome, he would be able to go to Rome and preach the gospel to Gentiles, this is a way that he would be able to do that as well. But the bottom line is, as a Roman citizen, he demanded that his rights as a Roman citizen be honored. That's kind of a bottom line that we see here. Now, when we consider, as we understand historically, we understand that the Caesar at this time, this was probably in 58, 59, 60 AD, the Caesar at that time was Nero. Not a good guy. Yet the first several years of his rule were peaceful. It wasn't until probably around this time, maybe immediately afterwards, where he kind of turned, and it it was in uh, 60, I believe, that that, that Rome was set on fire. We, We do know historically that Nero was the one that did that so that he could blame the Christians and so forth, right? Uh, It was around that time that that actually happened. But he was not yet crazy as we see him historically. So it could seem funny that he would appeal to Nero, but Nero was okay up to that point. Some say, I remember hearing Pastor Chuck talk about this uh, years ago, he believes that that Nero went kind of nuts after his rejection of the gospel as presented to him by the Apostle Paul. No doubt when Paul stood before him, he gave him his defense all the time that we see his defense. We'll see it again in the next chapter when he gives his defense uh, before Festus and King Agrippa. Again, he gives his, his testimony as a Jewish man uh, coming to Christ, how that all happened and so forth. And he, he, he would do the same thing to Nero as well, before Nero as well. So it, it makes sense that that could be the case. This is just where Nero's heart went after rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented by the Apostle Paul. Now looking at these verses, this first part of this, we are given some truths that I think would be good to, to kind of review. Some of them we've seen already. For example, this illustrates once again 
the Jewish hostility toward the gospel. It is a, it's a theme that has run all the way through the book of Acts. The Jewish authorities, in particular, the leaders rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, rejecting the truth that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and all that that means. They reject him. We're reminded what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18. We go to this once in a while, appropriate here. Uh, that verse says, Jesus saying, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Important to remember. And, and really, there's, there's no uh, religion in the world that is uh, really neutral about Jesus. Um, some are subtly opposed, some are openly opposed to Christ, but he's not revered in other religions, certainly not as God. Others believe he may have been a good man or maybe a prophet, but certainly not the Messiah, not God. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. That tells me that you and I need to be in the business of evangelism, gathering people to himself. Got to be the work of Christ. Got to be the Holy Spirit that does it. We know that. But the gospel goes out when we speak it and live it. That's when the gospel goes out. So we need to be about the business of doing so. And another thing that, that this brings to us, another truth, is the reality of the bondage of sin that we see that has taken root in the hearts of these Jewish leaders. After all this time, the, 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 their hatred toward Paul has simply grown. Even though he's in this, this, this prison in Caesarea for a two-year period of time, they don't hear from him or anything, but when they get the opportunity, they want him dead. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now the word commits, commits there. It's not just committing it once in a while, but committing and continuing, continually committing sin, repeating sin. That person is a slave of sin, and the hatred and the, and, and the bitterness in their heart produce that in the hearts of these Jewish leaders. 2 Peter 2.19 says, While they promised them liberty, they, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome... By him also he is brought into bondage. Now there are many areas of bondage, many ways that we as people can be in bondage to things of this world, to um, uh, desires or lusts of the flesh. Uh, we can be in bondage to people around us. We can be in bondage to a particular idea, an ideology. We can be in bondage to a lot of different things. 
It's the, it's, it's just the way that that thing or person, whatever it is, controls us. The way that thing causes us to make decisions or take actions in regard to those things. And so whatever it is that controls us, whatever by, by whom or by what a person will overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. And, and, and so, you know, while, while, the, while the people of uh, Israel would say, we're not in bondage to anything, back in the day, like in Moses' time, they were in bondage to things. The Jewish leaders were not in bondage to anything. Yeah, they're in bondage to their own desires. They're, they're lust for power. They're in bondage to that. They certainly were. And we can be in bondage to various things. I mean, obvious things like, like drugs and alcohol, you know, a, a desire for power, a desire for position, a desire for a particular relationship, or whatever it might be. Again, it can be so many different things. But we become bound by those things. And these Jewish leaders were enslaved by their desire for power and their intense hatred for this man, an innocent man, Paul. But we find freedom only through Jesus. Amen. John, uh, John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you free. You're set free by the truth of the word of God as we abide in his word. As we make our home in his word. As we remain in his word. As we abide there, then the freedom comes. The third thing that this brings to us that is that it reveals the sovereignty of God in our lives, in human affairs. And even the thing that's going on in Israel that all is under the umbrella of God's sovereignty somehow in some way. And because we can't understand it doesn't mean that it's not under his authority, under his control. Do you guys believe that God is sovereign over all things? We, we believe that. But then we complain about things that happen. I don't get it, Lord. Why are you doing this? That's a natural question. But you know, one thing that, that we're learning, and, and I, I'm learning this more and more, is that I don't need to understand it. In fact, many things I can't understand. You know, um, as I've shared with you before, with, with, with my bride going to be with the Lord, you know, the Lord taking her, you know, from me, from our family, from this church, from her ministry. You know, it's like, it doesn't make sense to us that, that, that this beautiful woman, so gifted and used by God in so many people's hearts, especially women's hearts, that she suddenly would just be, be gone, you know? And, 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 and I would, and, and I, I'll, I'll just tell the Lord, you know, I, okay, Lord, I, I get it. You don't need any one particular person to do anything. You don't need that. But you know what? It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make, need to make sense to me. Your, your, your thoughts and your ways are far above mine, so I submit to that. I place myself under that. I don't want to be serving a God that I understand completely. 
so I accept the things that I don't understand. Does that make sense? I think we all need to do that. Accept his will, accept his sovereign will for our lives. And again, as I've shared before, really, it's not about me or you, us losing her. It is the beautiful story of God bringing a redeemed sinner to himself. Isn't that what it's all about? So we know that's going to happen. Amen. We need to keep our focus there. Because that thrills me. I hate that she's gone from me. I love that she's with him. You know, throw that bittersweetness and all that. But that gives me, gives me the ability to move forward. It, it truly does. So in his sovereignty, why is this happening right now in Israel? I don't know. You know, a lot of people talking about this could be it, this could be it. You know, it's going to become a regional war, and pretty soon Russia's going to be going in. That's going to be it, Ezekiel 38, and then we're gone. I don't know. A few weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, after this first started, I, 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 I cautioned you. I think we need to be very, very careful about that. You know, while, I mean, that is an exciting thing to think about. It is. But, you know, that can draw us away from focusing on, in our prayers, those people who are suffering so greatly right now. Even the, the Palestinian civilians who there's been so much loss of life. You know, I think Israel is just in doing what they're doing. The unfortunate reality is there's a loss of life. And families are being destroyed by that. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for them. And so we see God's sovereignty in the way that he dealt with this thing with uh, the Apostle Paul. Finally, one other thing. We see Paul submitting to the Roman government, even as he wrote to the Romans, Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. He's writing to the Romans, the Roman church, and the authority of the, of the Roman Empire at that time, but it applies to us as well, right? Subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So Paul was submitted to the governing authorities, but we also see that he used the law in such a way that the rights that the law gave to him were something that he demanded be given to him. And that's a right thing to do. There are some countries that don't have the laws that we do. We do have those laws. We have the right to insist on them. Legal actions take place because of these kinds of things. You know, bakers go to court so that they can bake a cake for whom they choose to, for example, right? Because they have the freedom to do so. That's an example. So that's the right thing to do. I would say this. I think we need to be careful in church, in the setting of preaching the gospel, that we remember 
that our real enemy is Satan. Our real enemy uh, are the are, are, are the demons that are around us. You know, we're doing battle against them. And so, you know, you, the United States of America is not going to save us. Only Jesus saves us. So we preach about Jesus. Encourage these other things, yes, of course. But it's all about Jesus and who he is, what he has done for us already, and what he's going to continue to do for us. He's the one that delivers us from bondage. And you know what? The church is going to be just fine. Let's focus on our existence as people of God, citizens of heaven. You know, the, the gates of Hades will not, will never prevail against the church. Can and probably will prevail against the good old USA. It's just another power, worldly power, that's going to fall just like the Roman Empire did, just like the Greek Empire did, like the Babylonian Empire did. You know, I mean, that's what happens. But our faith is in Jesus, our true king. Let's follow after him. And Father, help us to do so. God, we pray that you'd have your way in our hearts. Have your way in us as we continue to serve you, Lord. And, and, and might we learn the lessons that are provided here? Some of them not brand new, but we see the, the reality of these truths. And God, I pray that each one of us would live accordingly. I pray that you would have your way in us and understand that the real culprit is Satan and his demons. The real culprit is the re reality of sin, the sin that is in us, the sin that is around us. And Lord, you came to give us victory over sin. Victory over the powers of sin in our lives. Victory over the consequences of our own sinfulness as you, Jesus, took your place on that cross bearing the sin of the world and freeing all who would trust you in that and for that, giving us the free gift of eternal life through faith in you. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed right now, I do want to ask if there's anyone here who's not yet acknowledged your need for Jesus, acknowledged your need for forgiveness from God, and your need for life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that and would like to do that, I sure would love to pray for you right now. If you want to give your heart to Jesus or follow him and acknowledge him as your Savior, raise your hand. Let me pray for you. If you've never done that before. Anyone? Okay. Perhaps you've got some anxiety going on inside your heart right now, a little battle going on there. That's very normal. A spiritual battle that's taking place. Anyone? I see your hand raised there. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, thank you for this one and maybe even others who are just simply hesitant to raise their hand, but 
in our hearts for saying, yes, I, I want you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I thank you for this one. I pray that you would bless this one, Lord, with an understanding of, of who you are and an understanding of, of the truth of who, uh, of, of who he is, Lord. I pray that you would uh, uh, do your work in not only delivering this one from sin, which you have just simply by the raising of the hand, acknowledging what's in the heart. Thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you will cause this one to be blended into the church and, and grow in faith and grow in peace and love and joy in, in their heart, Lord. We thank you. Have your way with every other heart that is in this place. For those of us who know you and express our love towards you, Lord, continue to give us growth to become more and more like you. Love others in the way that you've loved us, Lord. And God, we just give you all the glory for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.